We're now on the air. Okay. Um, I'm going to put the Makara sets in the chat. It's going to be a little complicated because there are two documents we're going back and forth between. Um, so you might want to open them on your computer. Uh, do that. Do not be distracted by Zoe's puppy. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll work. We'll work from there. Uh, okay. And Eliana, I'm going to make you co-host again, just in case. Um, okay. Um, okay. So this is a, a share about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Um, and it requires, I, I think it's fair to put up front uh, my own experience with guns and my own experience with the Sugya. And we'll talk about what we'll, what we'll try to do. That experience with guns um, should be said that I don't like guns. <laughs> um, that's the simplest thing. I have fired a gun once. Um, you know, it's coming to peer pressure when I was a camp counselor at some point. I did not enjoy the experience. I did not fight my parents to be able to go to Gush because at that point, Gush had Americans stand Ashmira with, with guns. It was the only place I was interested in going and I didn't want to hold a gun. Uh, my position was, I, the wisdom of my position was, I think, um, well demonstrated some years later when an American shot a gun at somebody else by accident. And at that point, people stopped allowing Americans, allowing Americans to stand Ashmira and Gush and life was much better. But too late, uh, too late for me to ever, um, ever to go. Uh, I've had guns pulled on me twice. Um, back in the dark days of uh, when Washington Heights was dangerous, once uh, by a random mugger and once by a neighbor who I made the mistake of knocking on his window at night hoping to get in because I'd forgotten my key. Um, so my experiences are, are not positive. Uh, on the other hand, I have libertarian tendencies. So, the, so my personal feelings and my uh, political feelings, to some extent, um, are in conflict. Um, entirely irrelevant to this, I think, is that this is the sugya that I picked from my first shear ever, uh, first regular shear, which was uh, 30 years ago, uh, I guess now 31 years ago, probably, in, um, in the Gross Center for really for what was then called Bet Midrash the Torah. Uh, I picked it basically because it was, the parak was only like eight or nine dafim long, so the part that deals with this issue is only nine. Is, is fairly short, and I wanted a parak that I could read all of the Rishonim on comprehensively before I started giving shir. Uh, but but because of that, this is Girsa the Ankusa, right? This is this is a very early shir of mine. It's very hard, and I have a really big finish about some of it that I taught as I made the curriculum again for for a number of years for medical ethics class, and so it's very hard for me to rethink it from scratch. I just want to be frank about that. I automatically see things in terms of in terms of that shear. I don't think I have succeeded in um, I don't think I have succeeded in getting uh, right in getting in getting to that point where um, where uh, you know where I'm really looking at the subject from scratch and I'll have to see if I made mistakes because of that. Um, also, it's uh, it's a sugi, it's a sugi really about which uh, we're, uh, in this area where I learned a very important lesson about halacha, which was how vast a distance there was between being really good at intellectual Talmudics and knowing anything about halacha. Um, and I talk about this not infrequently. I think that the, I did a presentation with the associate dean, I think, at Harvard Law, uh, Carol Stecker, I think her name is. Um, she said that we had to invite Professor Dershowitz if we wanted anyone to come, so we did. But the big thing, but the big thing for me was the uh, was with her where he, she said, I don't know anything about Judaism. I said, that's great. Like when I deal with 
when I do joint presentations academics, it's often like the challenge is to get them not to talk about Judaism because they're really excited to talk about Judaism. And I don't, I want to talk about Judaism, but I want them to talk about their fields. So she said, I don't know anything about Judaism, which was, and I said, great. Uh, so all she did was just ask me a series of questions about my presentation, which was on the crime of passion defense. And at the end of that, uh, I just realized like, I, wow, I knew nothing whatsoever about law. Uh, right? you know, I knew something about constitutional law, but I knew nothing whatever about practical criminal law. I hadn't had basic answers. Um, and so that really ch you know, changed my whole approach to everything to realize like, you know, there's this stuff which I thought I knew so cold and I couldn't answer you know, the Aleph based um, questions. So when I started thinking about and watching other people talk about halakhic reactions to the Rittenhouse case, so that, you know, so I was trying to figure out, to me, like the most important thing was not to have us come up with presentations that were based on pure abstractions and present them as if that was what halakha wanted in real life. Um, and happily, I have found, a, I have found a, uh, a precedent for that position on this issue specifically. If we take a look at... Um, at uh, this this text, um, go all the way to page one. So here's the Shavus Yaakov, uh, which I think is 19th century, right? Uh, but he says the following question. Right, so it's a more dramatic question. Here's a question from a boy who has his who has tears streaming down his cheeks. Right, he's on his way with, a, right, he's, on, he's traveling with some other boy. And they started to fight with each other. And one, right, and so the other guy took out his knife. And tried to kill our poor grip kid standing in front of us with tears streaming down his cheeks. So come who go. So he killed him first. So now he wants to know, does he have to do tshuva? Should we just say, well, somebody came to kill you, you killed him first. Good for you. Okay, so the tshuva is, right, it's tshuva. Now in these times, we don't have the power to address these laws. This is actual capital crimes, actual jurisdiction. So I won't refrain from telling you what my opinion is. Uh, what seems to be my, what seems to be true to me, in the way of Framing the argument, I guess we would say. I'm not sure the best translation is. Below the dina, but I'm not telling you this is the halacha. Now, it's not obvious that he has to do this. He could say, well, we don't get to judge capital cases, so we can't issue a verdict. But, you know, but it's halacha, so why don't we, we'll make a decision as, and we'll decide, say, this is what the decision would be if we had, if we had capital jurisdiction. After all, we have to address all these issues, you know, deal with the classic nafkaminas and the Gemara. You have to deal with these questions. Just what's, what happens if somebody takes a neder? The Allah goes one over the other. You have to tell them whether the neder is binding. What happens if somebody says, right? So you have to know whether people are married or not. So it's very important to know what the Allah is in such circumstances. But he says, no, right? He says it's important to know that we really don't have a live tradition. I think that's the way I would express it. We don't have a live tradition uh, of dealing with these cases. And so everything we say, is theoretical, and though you know, I do have to deal with the quasi halachic question of whether you have to do tshuva, uh, right? The whole separate conversation about whether the question of whether you have to do tshuva for something should be constituted as halachic question or non-halachic question, uh, because there certainly are cultures in which 
do I have to do tshuva or not, is a very common question asked to poskim. Um, I'm going to call it quasi halachic, but thereby you know betraying biases. So I want to be frank about that. But I think that he um, that the Shuvas Yaakov is useful because the Shuvas Yaakov, um, I think, makes a point very much along the lines of what I'm saying that when you don't have a live tradition of psak, then you can't really say what the halacha is. You can sort of say something like this is what I think the halacha should be. Um, so that's what we're trying to do here. Um, and I thought the halacha should be you know, fairly moderate on this issue. I didn't think that we should encourage vigilantism. Um, and I think probably when I first wrote my piece, I was I probably was not as much in touch with my libertarian instincts as I am usually. <laughs> and uh, so part of what reading Chubot has been has been good for me in that regard. Um, but after I wrote the first essay about it, so a number of people emailed me saying that I had not addressed the position of Shlomo Zalman. Uh, I put in one line about it in the first essay, which was probably just not a good treatment of it. And so I wrote a second essay, which I explained why I really didn't think Shlomo Zalman was a great model. And I started being nervous afterwards after reading, that I started reading all the other responses of Shlomo Zalman that maybe I had been unfair and I had overread Shlomo Zalman. So I want to do now, because I want to begin by just um, taking you way too rapidly through some of the background of the topic, introducing some key concepts and maybe some key distinctions in how we understand those concepts. And then I want to go back to some, uh, probably to one precedent, I guess I would say, for Shlomo Zalman from contemporary Shlomo Rozovsky. And because I want to show like how this can be done as a purely intellectual issue with basically no concern for Lamasa at all, uh, I think. And then I want to read Rashlomo Zalman together and see what we think Rashlomo Zalman really means. Did I, was I fair or was I not fair? And if we have time remaining, so Rashlomo Zalman um, was good at corresponding with other people. So this, his essay was responded to uh, by Rav Asher Weiss. And in fact, he, uh, he responds to Rav Asher Weiss's response in this version of his essay. Uh, was responded to by the Sitzeliezer, I think we should take a look at along the way as a contrast. Um, I think those are the two that matter to us. Rabbi Weiss' response to the first one we'll be doing as well. Okay, so that's our agenda. First, just background on the sugya, which will also show you some of my biases and how to read it. Uh, then, the, I, assuming that time is working reasonably, we'll do the one where Shmuel Rizovsky is, uh, which I think is a very lumdish academic. It's, you know, it's written in Chidushim. Right, not in Shuvah's uh, essay. And then we'll read Rashlomo Zalman's piece and see if I'm being fair or not. And if I'm being fair, so what we think of what he did and right, how, how we react to it. Okay, so we're going to uh, shift to uh, to the other the other file. And we're gonna, but this we're gonna really, this is gonna be uh, like a 25 minute whirlwind tour of the Sugya. It'd be my bet. Okay, um, so we start with the Gemara and Sanhedrin, um, which you uh, probably all know, which is Rabbi Yochan in the name of Shem Ben Yitzedek, shows up in right, different ways, different places. Places Rabbi says Clapper. that every, the only things that are you hearing Bel Yavor are about Azara Gilei Raya Sutri Chistani. Rabbi then, Clapper, like, we're still I, seeing I, I the other documents. Gemara, Gemara tries to source all of these, and uh, it sources about Azara in a in a pasuk. It sources uh, the. Uh, it sources um, uh, murder in a comparison to adulterous rape. Um, 
And then it, um, actually, sorry, it first says adulterous rape in a comparison to murder. And then it says, okay, what about murder? The answer is, svarahu, that's just re- reason. And we tell a story about probably Rabba, although in some years, so this is Rabba, uh, where he says, the, the Lord of my manor, my liege lord, whatever, told me, uh, right, told me to kill somebody or I'll kill you. Am I allowed to kill him? And the answer is, let him kill you and you can't kill him because who says your blood is redder than his? Right, so I always love about this is that it's, it sounds like an ultimate question, and uh, the ultimate question is not answerable by interpretation. It's only answerable by by moral intuition. And then we claim that the Torah has to be understood on the basis of that moral intuition because we learn adulterous rape. From, right, we, there's a pasuk which draws an analogy between adulterous rape and murder, and we say that the meaning of that analogy is given by this moral intuition. Without this moral intuition, that right, that analogy would be meaningless. So, so it tells you that some kind of moral intuition is prior to uh, right is prior to Torah. Okay, right. So I'm I'm very very fond of that. But uh, then what I like pointing out is that what's interesting is that this moral intuition, like the thing, the thing which precedes Torah, is not sustained in halacha. Right? That that's which is a really challenging thing because we have a gemara right the famous machlokas between Ben Petura and Rabbi Akiva about the um, about the two people of the canteen in the desert. And the outcome of it is that your life comes before your friends. Hang on a sec. Who says your blood is redder than his? Right. So we have right. So that's the right. So that's the problem. We have these. We have the the um, one question is how do we reconcile the svara of who says right with Rabbi Akiva? And there are many, 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 many answers to that. Um, but the problem is like you know the problem precedes all of them, right? It's more radical way is why don't you know of asking the question is. It's one thing to come with intuition if the Torah says nothing, but the Torah here says something. It says your life precedes the other person. So what gave what gives us the chutzpah to say, well, there's a basuk that says this, but I have a svara. Um, that limits this, right? So that, that's a fun question. Second question is, when Rabbi Kiva says your life precedes somebody else's, uh, does that mean that you, right, does that mean that Rabbi Akiva thinks that you can make choices among lives generally? What happens if I'm choosing between B, who is related to me, and C, who is not related to me? Right, what, right, what are the boundaries? Once right, we have one line which says, who says your blood is redder? Another line which says your blood is redder. Uh, right, so are there also ways of saying that X's blood is redder than Y? Uh, right, once we no longer think this far is universally applicable. As the answer is, there's at least one case where we say that, which is the case of the further trespasser. And the further trespasser, the terrorist says, right, that if the thief is found in the tunnel, and is struck down and, and dies, Ein Damim. So Ein Damim could mean that the person who kills them has no blood guilt, or that the person who was killed has no blood and therefore doesn't right, doesn't right, doesn't uh, has no right has no right to live, live in those circumstances. And on the assumption that this is not intended purely as a you know as a, um, a Dickensian England attempt to discourage pickpockets, but uh, right, but really, but has something to do with an assumption that the thief threatens, that this thief in some way threatens the life of the homeowner, um, right? So that means that you have your precedent for the idea that you can kill the thief to save the homeowner. And that is a case where you can, right, where you can choose X's life over Y. All right, so that's right. So, now, right, so we have a svara. And against that svara, we have a case where you can choose your own life over somebody else's. And against that svara, we have a case where you can choose a third, right? You can could choose between second parties, I guess. You can choose, right? You can choose, you can choose X over Y. Okay. So, what are the parameters um, of this? 
Um, so the Ramam has an interesting claim here. He says, Above Machter de Meyom Ben Melayla in Lodamin, Elim Haragobah Habayas, Osh Arha Adam. Right? So that's not, right? So he takes from the, which is in the Gemara, right? The passive of Vihuka, that the thief is struck down, not Vihikahu, that he struck him. The passive teaches you that it doesn't matter who does it, right? So it's not just, right, it's not just a choice of your life, it's third parties, as we, as we said. Um, and then he says, Rashut yesh lakol and everybody has permission to kill him. So that's an interesting claim, right? Up till now, I would have thought probably that you, right, that halacha always tells you which way to choose. But the truth is, we don't really know, right? It's not obvious that Rabbi Kiva's, Rabbi Kiva says, does that mean that it has to precede your friend's life or that you're allowed to have it precede your friend's life? Now, this is a question I actually just wrote a, a source sheet. Um, for chaplains uh, who were um, to speak about at a, for a, um, the at a, a ceremony or the day honoring a Jewish Medal of Honor recipient who was honored for basically sacrificing his life to save his team. Um, and the problem that they were having, the reason they turned to me was that they looked up all the sources and all the sources seemed to say that you can't sacrifice yourself for somebody else. Uh, right? And there is a whole interesting literature about this in, uh, in Israel. There are two famous cases uh, in Israel, most recently, uh, a person named Rowie Klein, who was uh, a serious Tamil Chacham and uh, threw himself on a grenade uh, to, save, right, to save the people around him. And so there's a whole halachic discussion in Israel about how to treat that. Um, but simple thing I would have learned at Rabbi Kiva was an obligation to put your life before somebody else's. Um, maybe that's true. But the Ramam says there's certain that when it comes to choosing, there, at least there is a group of people who it seems, it seems likely, uh, where you have a choice between A and B, and instead of saying who says who says A's life is better, A's blood is better than B, so do nothing, we say you can choose. And that's also an interesting, interesting thing to uh, to know. That is, we could point out that the logic who says A's blood is better than B doesn't necessarily have to generate passivity. It could generate a coin flip. It can generate discretion. Right? We can balance it and say it depends, right? You know, but if if you have to kill somebody, so then there's an act of murder that weighs in the balance. But if it's not a question of that, it's, it's a trolley problem, uh, right? The train's going to kill one person or another, right? You just have to figure out which one. So maybe, you know, does Allah say that you just have to be passive or does it say flip a coin? All right. I don't know if trolley, trolley problems might be, you know, an example of good philosophy makes bad law. I don't know. Um, okay. Um, as opposed to this, right, just to, to, in case you think the word Rishos is an accident, so the Ram sets up his halachos of Rodev, right, which is the, the standard case of a pursuer pursued, not the case of the, of the furtive pursuer. And here he does not have a pasuk that seems anywhere near as explicit. He resorts to the, the case of the woman who intervenes in the fight between two men, uh, where it says, you cut off her hand, don't 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 show any uh, don't show mercy. And the Rama claims that this is both an assay, right? There's a, there's a, a positive commandment to uh, to save whoever the woman is threatening by cutting off her hand, and also a negative commandment not to show mercy. Um, so positive and negative commandments sound very different than the word vishus. We have to figure out what the difference is between the case of Bab Machteret and the case of and the case of Rodev, which Rodev seems to be both a positive and negative commandment. And Baba Bakhtera seems only to be a, uh, a permission, at least for third parties. Um, but here, the Ram, by Rodev, the Ram is also talking about third parties. Okay, we could have lots and lots of fun 
about the about the, you know dealing with you know so to speak about with dealing with the uh, intellectually with the abortion case, but that's not relevant to us right now. Um, and then the Ram at the end says, right, so, which is a quote from the Gemara, but if you can't apply the law of Rodef, then so there's a default. The default goes back to the Torah. But Rodef is something that overrides the Torah for some reason, or that vacates the Torah. Right? So our default is you can't ever choose one life over another, except if it's yours and you're starving in the desert, or if somebody's trying to kill somebody else. Uh, right, they also have to figure out the difference between a Bekiva's case where um, there's no way for a third party, right? Probably Bekiva doesn't think you can choose. You can choose third parties. Um, it's probably probably only about you and Rodef, which just seems to be all about third parties. Um, okay, we have one other thing which is going to matter to us, I think, very much in this sugya, um, which is we have a pasuk of a midbar. Other midbar says Tzoror to Midyanim. Lama kisarim heim lechem. I gave you the whole pasuk above here. Uh, right, and the pasuk in context may not mean quite the same thing, but uh, right, you're supposed to attack the Midianites because they are attacking you. So mikanam ruchachamim balargachashkeimlharga. So from here, the sages said, if somebody comes to kill you, get up early and kill. Get up early and kill them uh, and kill them first. Um, okay, Eliana, do you have, have my have my Makara still not come through? Where you can follow, where you can have the page on yourself. No, you you all have the files now. No, okay. Let's try this one more time. Uh, you can see you can follow it on screen, but, you, but I'd rather you have the files yourself. Uh, oh, so the screen is moving. Uh, it's not working. Let's try this again. Ah, okay. I see. Okay, I see what happened. Um, let's share. I, I see what happened. I think. Let's try sharing this again. Thank you, Eliana. Uh, okay, so now. Why it's not letting me put anything in the chat? Ah, okay, let's try that. Okay, that showed up this time. Yeah. Okay, right. So that's that's this file, and I'll I'll share the other the other link when we go back to when we go back to the other file. Um. Okay. So, Balhargachashkeim Lahargo is not a, a phrase we have met yet. Um, and the question is, is it really connected to this verse? We could say this verse is only talking about national account, right? Sort of the national policy, not individual policy, for sure. Um, it's hard to figure what the circumstances are, but here's what I think is the most radical way of thinking about it. Maybe it's a counter svar. And really, we have two competing svaros. Right? One svar is who says your blood is redder, and the other svar is if somebody comes to kill you, you can kill them first. These are both statements of, uh, of moral intuition. Now you'll tell me, but these statements of moral intuition conflict. Um, so I'll quote one of my, my favorite books. Some of you probably heard me quote it before. Stephen Shapin uh, has a book called uh, Never Pure on the history of science. And in, in it, there's a chapter on the economy of uh, proverbs. 
And what he says, and I think this is a marvelous insight into Gemara, he says that Proverbs often contradict. For example, haste makes waste and a stitch in time saves nine. Opposites attract, but birds of a feather flock together. Uh, almost every proverb actually has its opposite. And the way proverbs function is by making okimtas. Everyone knows that, everyone assumes that these statements are true. And what, and what you navigate is which of them is true when. Uh, right, that's right. So that right. So I thought it's, it's really a, a marvelous way of thinking about how, right, how Gemara functions. Right, that's really that's really the economy. Right, that's really the economy of um, the, econ- the economy of Gemara. So um, so here, right, we could say that we have our two opposite two opposite intuitions, and we know right, the question we have to figure out is when is each of them true? Um, and then we have a and then we have a, a third question because the first intuition is who says your blood is redder than his. And that may not be the same thing as, as saying who says A's blood is redder than B. Now, I think happily, um, it would, in a different context, you talk about the problematic mission at the end of Horios, which seems to set up criteria among, right, among wives. And, you know, and I think that the very broad consensus among halachists, which showed up in the shuva people wrote about, uh, about COVID, is that we extend Myanmar to... Um, we extend Mayimar from the realm of yourself and somebody else. We don't just we don't treat it as a principle of well you might be um, you might be self interested. We treat it as a statement about the objective value of all right of all human beings. Um, but nonetheless, um, right? So I, I think I think we treat it that way. So that right? But, um, but we can talk about a space left in the middle, which is other people's value. How do you evaluate? How do you evaluate team B and C? Do we say that the underlying principles you can never choose? Or do we say the underlying principle is that without self-interest, there are bases for choosing? I'd rather say we don't choose, but I, but I think we should be aware, aware that uh, there's a possibility of the space. In any case, I think that it's an interesting way of thinking of the sugya, not as there's a svara, and then the svara comes into conflict with the psukim, but that there are conflicting svaras, and we use psukim as a way of creating okimtas. Um, okay, if there are questions or challenges, people should please just unmute themselves and talk, um, as opposed to waiting for me to call on you. And you can also put things in the chat, and I will try to uh, check the chat on occasion. Okay, now the Gemara, right? Uh, the Gemara puts Bava in a um, in the framework of that line, um, the Meiri puts it right. Puts, quotes the source of Mabin Barabbas, so I don't feel like I'm being illegitimate by introducing an agatic source into a lack of context, because Miri quotes it also. And I thought it was useful for you to see the phrase introduced in a context differently than the Gemara uses it, because that could let me introduce that idea that maybe it's an underlying Sora. And now we have to look at the Gemara and see what the Gemara really says. So here's the Gemara says Above Maktara, Nidon El Shame Sofa. So the furtive trespasser is judged, presumably means is can be killed because of what they will eventually do and not because of what they have already done. Okay, which is a Kiddush, right? Why should we, right? We all know, right? Yishmael, right? Yishmael, right? right? We judge people exactly as they are, um, right? We, you know, then we can watch the Tom Cruise movie, whatever it is, right? The Philip, I think it's a Philip K. Dick short story, my report. 
um, about the dangers of judging people about the shame so far, but isn't that really you know, a problem because we always believe in free will? Can't last week's partial also, but emotionally killing the Egyptian. Okay. So Rashi says, what does this mean? The change in font is to get you Rashi. Dala Kotal, Kotal, because he hasn't killed anybody. Umaktil Mishum de Sofol Harog Balabayas, Keshiamod Kenegdol Hasil Mamono. And so we kill the Bamakhtar because he's eventually going to kill the, the homeowner when the homeowner stands against him and um, in order to in order to save his money. So now the among the important things of Rashi's formulation is that we kill him at a point when the homeowner has not yet stood against him. Right, so right, so the way I understand the sugya, based on this Rashi, and it's hard for me to get it out of my head, but you're welcome to see if you can find somebody who disagrees with Rashi, is that Rashi understands Bava Machteret as opposed to the broad concept of Rodev, wherever the broad concept of Rodev is derived. Right, the Ramam gets it from that Vekatsotat Kapa, but we'll see that the Ramam, the Ramam quotes Psukim that the Gemara never quotes, and that's, for that regard, he quotes the Sifri, um, for whatever reason, whatever his reasons are. Um, the difference seems to be, or as I want to suggest, that above Machtera deals with preemptive killing. Right? Not just killing somebody while they're trying to kill you, but killing somebody because they will try to kill you. And it's really radical here because what if the homeowner chooses not to stand against him? So now we killed this Bab Machtera for no reason at all. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Great. I mean, can it sort of just be that oh um can you hear me? Um could it just be that uh sort of that uh that the thief has sort of shown by his actions that he's given up his uh he sort of forfeited his right to life by acting in a manner that shows that he would have been willing to um yeah, so that right, so that's a little iffy, right? Attempted murder. Um because like if you if you don't enter through a tunnel and you actually right and you actually try to shoot somebody and you miss, we don't execute you. Well, it's not it's not attempted murder exactly. It, the idea is that once you enter a house, right, you've already shown that you are willing to, uh, to right? kill somebody because you know that somebody's going to attack you. Once you're willing to attack somebody, you're no you no longer have clean hands. Right. So all the more so if you actually shot somebody, but I right, but I disarm you. I should still be able to kill you. Uh-huh. So it can't just be that, right? Right, right, right. The right willingness to kill somebody can't be enough to let us kill you. Well, you're will, you're willing to kill somebody, and you still have the capability. All right, so right. that's really the, the, you still have the capability is already a, is is already a, you know a push, um, and the claim that it's factual, right? I'll, I'll shame so forth. So what it, the the other case is is the Bensaramora. So the Bensaramora, it's a character claim. Right, we don't usually frame it. I mean, the the rush has this great thing, right? The rush says the reason that we that Ben Saramura gets skila is because he's going to kill somebody on Shabbos, and the, right because the punishment for killing is right, it, right, is, is herring, but the punishment for uh, or right for or straight for whatever, right, the punishment for Friday Shabbos is skila, right? So right, so that that's a very precise, that's a very precise uh, claim, but uh, right, normally we. Um, no, but we don't. We don't. We don't uh, understand it that way. And, but Balakter, it sounds like right, the way Rashi is, right? The Sufo Larog Balabayis, 
You want to claim sofa some balabayas, not this one? He says, right, so that must mean it must be habitual furtive trespasses. Uh, right, not a specific furtive trespasses. So it could be that's true, right? It could be that's true, but it's difficult halacha. I, I don't know. I think it seems to me, right? Again, so I'm, you know, I'm open to being challenged on it, but it seems to me that the distinction is that for whatever reason, above Mukhtarit can be killed. Even when they are not currently posing a threat, they are just creating a situation in which we believe they will pose a threat. And challengingly, they'll only pose a threat. It's not that they, they're not going to hunt you down. If you leave the, by the back door as the thief comes in through the tunnel, they will be ecstatic. Why would they want to fight with you? And so this is why it's a potentially dangerous claim, right? Because as we'll see, right? Because obviously, right? Like, you'll see it in the return, right? The question, why, why, why is the, he just wants money, right? So there's two questions. Right? A, are, why should you be allowed to stand against him? Maybe you should be required to leave because why, can, why, should, you, why should you be entitled to initiate a capital confrontation over money? And B, right? Even if we say that, right, even if we say that, right? Even if we say that you're exempt, if you do it, uh, right? But uh, right, maybe you shouldn't have been allowed to. And then B, really, you're the one, right? You know, so if one person hates you, are you allowed, right? You know that if you like, forget the forget the money, right? One person really hates you. And guess what? You really hate them too. Right? The old Western situation, right? So you know, somebody's somebody said they're gonna kill you if you ever right? they're gonna kill you if they ever meet you again. Uh, right? But right now they're in they're they're in uh, Dodge City and you're in you're in New York. So you get on a plane and travel out to Dodge City because you know that you're a faster draw than they are, and if, right, and they'll draw against you, right? It's just quite right, they draw, right? And you say to somebody, draw, right? So why aren't you as good, right? So it's true they're trying to kill you, but why aren't right? But why aren't you guilty for the right? So that that I think it's a it's a morally interesting claim. Um, it's a morally interesting claim. Um, so you say, Bravanel tries to suggest that you know that it's because. Once a person threatens you, so then your life is always in danger. Uh, but it's a risky thing. And it's a risky thing. I love quoting uh, the Piske Chuvos says, it depends whether the person threatening you is an Amaretz or a uh, or a Talmud Chacham because, um, because uh, Talmud Chacham lie about such things. But Amaretz, uh, if they threaten you, they really mean it. <laughs> uh, so interesting results. Right? I, I, I uh, joke in my bike that I found the perfect, the perfect murder plot uh, just get somebody to threaten me and then ask him the Shiloh, he would certainly pass they were not my wrist. <laughs> and that would, that would, that would, uh, right, that would, that would resolve the, uh, resolve the issue. Anyhow, good time for baby to let you make fun of them. Or at least tease them. Um, but, right, so Nathan says that maybe the Babachterid is Bechez Kazrodev. I think that's very plausibly correct. But the question is, why is a, you know, so that's, that's a lambdish answer. You're Bechezkas Rode. And I don't really like killing people because they're Bechezkas something. I'm not really sure they, they are that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and because I, and it's still, I can run away. So, I have to, so let's hold those questions for a moment, right? So you'll see how some of them are shown him. Um, read this. So the, um, the, the Chirche Ran, which is not the Ran, at least it's the reverse I taught me, but it's really, uh, a uh, David Bonfil, I think. And so he says, right? He has he has problems getting there. He says, "What, what says?" It's not all thieves come to kill, uh, right? At the Balabayas, 
and if the Balbayas even overpowers the Ganav, they're not going to kill you. Because if he can't steal, he's just going to run, he's just going to move. But it's the Balbayas who only connect the Omanaf The owner is planning to stand against him if he doesn't give up the stuff immediately. And even though the owner really shouldn't kill him that way, people don't restrain themselves when it comes to their money. So we know that the owner will precipitously kill the thief if they come into contact. Sorry, sorry, and the thief who knows that the owner is going to kill him precipitously. So therefore, as soon as the owner stands in front of the thief, the thief knows the owner will kill him. Therefore, the thief will kill the owner. Not because he wants to, but because he knows the owner is going to kill him otherwise. There's not going to be time to just wrestle. Even though the thief would be willing to be overpowered if he can't win. But he says, but the thief is the one who started the fight. So this is, I think, what Ari correctly called this is an unclean hands doctrine. The person who did the first wrong is responsible for all prior escalation. But it's a very morally challenging claim, right? That Because you know, somebody who comes in has no interest in violence, even the Khrushchev says, is even willing to lose rather than be violent. But because you are going to be violent, so, right, so they and they know you're going to be violent, and therefore they're going to act preemptively, therefore you're entitled to act preemptively. Right, this is, I think, whatever his name is, who had the, the nuclear war scenario, uh, right, where, um, where you know, which where eventually somebody is going to attack preemptively because it becomes the, ra- the rational strategy. That's basically what we have here. Uh, Herman something rather has a, and there's a marvelous short story version of it where you know, some kids, some kid steals the neighbor's apple. And you know, and, and, you know, the neighbor says, "Well, if you're if you're if you can't stop your son coming to apple, if you're coming to the apple, I'm going to shoot him." Like, well, yeah, you're going to shoot my son. And in the end, they're nuclear weapons, uh, right? The apple doesn't tree doesn't survive. I don't think. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it this kind of makes sense, except you know, in, in some cases, it may not make sense. Like, for example, if the thief is a an unarmed little girl. Right, and then you have a homeowner. Then... So we're going to bracket those cases. The Gemara talks about it, right? Okay. Whatever the thief is, the thief is your father, and you're on good terms, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're, I guess, like you have a contemporary lesson, right? Your coal son coming to raid, <laughs> coming to raid your house because they can't feed themselves, right? That, right? That was a you know a celebrated case in Mishpacha magazine lately. Yeah, right. Let's assume whether the standard is certainty or the standard is probability is not right. That's a controversy. But if it's if it's clear that they that the thief will not kill you no matter what, then you're expected to have enough presence of mind not to kill them. Okay, so the Ad Ramah is my contrast to the um, to the Kiddush uh, Iran. He says v'chitema imkain havalei balabayis nami rodei. So the most just should do is right is create. I raise an interesting question, right? Does the Kiddush Iran's logic prevent the thief from killing you? Is it murder if the thief kills you? Just because you have a right to kill the thief doesn't mean that the thief doesn't have a right to kill you. And maybe both sides are wrong. The Yadra, the I don't think that's what the right, you know, you know, in the end, that's not true because the Pasuk says, which means that, right, that there's, no, I don't know, does that necessarily mean that the owner has the name? 
I don't think anybody has reached the conclusion that radical, uh, right? That even the Chushi Aram thinks that you can that the thief is not responsible for killing the owner. But the question is asked really boldly by the Adrama, I think, right? If that's the case, isn't the Balabayas also a Rodef? The answer is no, the Balabayas is not a Rodef. What do you mean he's going to kill him? It's only because he's coming to Q that he's coming that he's going to kill him. Um, right? So he tries, right? He tries, I think, to argue not that it's not an unclean hands doctrine. It's that it's the, the thief actually is the person responsible for initiating the capital confrontation. So he has to have a causal structure different than the uh, different than the Khadishir runs. And the Nafkamina is. Right, what right is between them is what happens if there's a situation where one side does the first wrong, but the second side is the one who's willing to kill to prevent right to prevent the wrong. I think I think that becomes a machlokas yadrama, and I think that has lots of implications to cases like riots and things like that. What about I, then? I mean, I didn't bring it up, but what about the castle doctrine? Right, it's you're you're in your own home. How can you be expected to you know? flee out into the darkness at night where it's dangerous. Right. So I think, well, so it's not is dangerous, so that's a risk to you. The question is just whether you just have a right to your space. Well, right. That, that That's part of it. But but, it, but part of the Castle Doctrine is just that your home is your safe space. So, of course, you have to be able to defend yourself in your own right. safe so space. I, I have not, I, I think the Abravanel has a version of that, right, where the Abravanel says that if you if you can't shoot the person, then you can never lie, lie you can never go to sleep in your house at night. Right, because the right, because if if, you, if, you, if the person can just walk away and say, hmm, "Oh well," <laughs> right, you got you got to draw me this time. We'll wait till next time. Uh, right, so I think the Bravanel. Right, in my article, I, I said that I, I think that's I think the Bravanel is the closest, but none of the Rishonim on Shas say that explicitly. That I know. Of. Okay. Um, as I showed you, right, Miri connects that Abalohargo Kashkem Argo. And I'm trying to set it up as you know, arguing that fundamentally it's a counter sphera. Um, the do we need this Gemara? Um, so here, just this Gemara just calls you all the other psukim we could quote. We could quote Shofech Tamadam, but the Moishafech, which really is framed here as the antithesis of Mi Yemar, right? Save this one's blood with that one's blood. So who says your blood? Right? Who says your blood is redder than his? Well, here's the Torah is telling you your blood is redder than his. Um, Right, we have, we have the the psukim to try and get it from Hashavat Aveda, um, and a dispute that becomes important later, which is whether you um, whether you have to give hasra normally to execute somebody. You have to get right for, as a, for a capital crime. You have to give them hasra. So the question whether that applies to a rodef or not, fun nafkaminas perhaps right is you know do you have to try to kill them with a sword if you have both a sword and a gun, right? So killing with a sword is the proper punishment for murder. So maybe ideally right okay. Uh, right, not our, not our issues, not our issues um, right now. Uh, but then we have really interesting distinctions in the area here, which start to generate the complexities of this law. The area says the Ode the like a What happens if he walks in by the front door? He walks in the front door and then hides in the court in the corridor. Right, I say that because I actually have a. The case that I talk about frequently with somebody who actually I went up the elevator 191st Street um, and for Washington, and there was a kid with a stick who didn't you know was beating the, the walls of the stick, and we got out of the elevator together, and he ran into this 
hidden corridor right outside and hid behind the doors so that if I opened the doors, I was totally vulnerable. Uh, right, so I, I, I know this case well, right? You walk in the front door, he's with the, in the elevator with me, and then you run in, and right, then you hide. So it looks like you're in ambush. So Mary says, interesting, that person requires Hasra, that if he doesn't leave there, you'll kill him. You can't kill him, for, you can't just shoot him. But he doesn't need Hasra, right? So that's a really interesting, like, so it, so the way the Mary says that above Maftar and Hasra and, uh, and Rodev are on a continuum. Um, right, that right, that which is right, not a, they're not absolute distinction. So that's an interesting claim, which I think supports the notion that it's a, that it's a competing sort The Pitsky Reed says that's because right, if he goes through a tunnel, so you can't retreat back through a tunnel. That's not going to work, uh, right? So once he once he comes in by a tunnel, he's obviously there to fight it out to the death. But if he comes into the front door, he could just walk back out the front doors. Okay, that assumes a certain size of tunnel, you know. And it doesn't work with my vision of tunnel because I have read the Sherlock Holmes story with the tunnel. And the tunnel seems to be big enough to stand up in. Okay, right, well, right. We can we can leave this side whether that is the most compelling explanation or not. Um, okay, right here, others took him to teach us, right, to teach us and You can decide if all these have have difference. Right here's here Shabbos Aveda. Here they have all those all those differences. Here you have Tosfos saying explicitly that Bab Machteret is Rishus and Rodef is Mitzvah. Um, right, so it's not just around the Sosfot. And okay, we need to know two other things. We need to know that there's a um, there's a position of Yonatan ben Shol, which which says that you have to use minimal necessary force. Um, right, so it's only if you it's only if the near doc, the pursued person, or the person watching it. Right, that right. If if they could steal him, what he calls the echad meivarav, you could say you could save the pursued by only maiming the pursuer, and you kill them. So the answer is neharagalav. Okay. So the problem with that is, a the Rambam doesn't say neharagalav. The Rambam says you get misabidation ayim, and b Rabbi Yosef Mitchell is quoted as a minority position. So, but we don't have the other position. Uh, right, so really, right, so we basically take this position as standard, or at least the Rambam standard, even though it's a, it's a mystery. One an analogy, this is the same issue, which comes in reversed of the only position we have about um, in the Bavli about Michal Bachol wearing tefillin, is the position that allows her to, even though right, it's obvious in context that they're they're only quoting that position because it's the it's it's the the side of the Machloket that agrees with the position they want, and in this case we actually know it because Yerushalmi has the other side. Right, so presumably there's another position of the Yonatan ben Shaul. Continuing the Yonatan ben Shaul, we just don't know what the um, we just don't know what the position of Rabbi Yonatan ben Shaul um, is. Um, hi, welcome, Pamela. I just put this the first sheet we're working up now back in the chat, so you can follow along in addition to following the screen. Okay, the last thing to know, and this is what really this is the 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 thing that the um, that the the Shoshon Zalman depends on mostly. Is this fascinating Gemara which says the, about Kanoim Pogimbo? Uh, right about um, the right of let's let's deal with the narrow case, right? Uh, public, public. Um, I don't know what we would call it. Public intersex has other meetings now, but we'll call it for that. <laughs> right? Public public intersex when when um, when when uh, when Zimri and Kazbi are sleeping together. So Rav Chista says Abali Malech in Morinlo. If somebody comes ask the question, should I? Right? If Pinchas had come. To ask the question, should I kill Zimri? We would have said we don't know. That's a whole problem because the Medrash 
as Moshe hinting, so that's great, but let's leave that leave that be. Uh, so we have a, a, bright, a, a member that says the same thing. Rabbi Barbarchana says the name Rabbi Yochanan, Habali Malech Ein Marin Lo, Lo Od. Right here we have two right. Ella. Sheim Pirish Zimri Varagol Pinchas. Suppose that Zimri ceases to engage in Koedis. And then Pinchas comes along. Neregalav. So Pinchas would be executed for killing Zimri in that circumstance. Right? It has to read the Kanayim Pogimbo has to be while the couple is still uh, intertwined. Let's frame it sexually intertwined. I'm being very careful about what, what I'm not saying in the act of Kuidas, because you'll see that that has an afkamina. Um, furthermore, Nepaf Zimri Vahara Gola Pinchas. If Zimri had turned around and killed Pinchas, he is not executed for killing Pinchas, because Pinchas is a Rodex. So that's a really interesting claim, right? Here we have the first time we have an explicit circumstance where two people, it seems, have a right to kill each other. Right, we could try to tame it and say he's not executed, but he still did the wrong thing. But basically, all the Rishonim read it, uh, right, read it as uh, fundamentally equivalence. That Pinchas, uh, maybe even Zimri has the advantage. Pin maybe Pinchas only has permission to kill him. And Zimri, right, but Zimri has a, has an obligation to kill Pinchas. He has an obligation to save his life. That's a weird case. And it says explicitly that Pinchas is a root, right? Pinchas becomes a rodeo. So that sets our parameters for there being situations where there isn't a clear, where, where two people are threatening each other. But unlike Baba Makhtarit, where it seems we come out very clearly saying that the householder has a right to kill the thief but the thief has no right to kill the householder. Uh, right here, we say that, no. Right here, we say that there two people have a right to kill each other, which is really very odd. Like, why would we generate a situation like that? Um, right, so people have all sorts of attempts to try and distinguish Pinchas from an ordinary Beitian executioner because they work on the premise that you're not, that a guilty party is not allowed to kill a Beitian executioner to save their own life. Why is that? So we say, okay, maybe because Pinchas only has Rishus and not a mitzvah, uh, maybe maybe he's not Pinchas isn't acting as a as an agent of Beit Din. Uh, maybe which I prefer, the person who has been sentenced to death is legally dead and therefore has no life to preserve. Uh, right, that's Rav Chaim Salvechik's position that Beit Din can't actually kill anybody, you know, physically. That would be murder. But what they can do is pronounce you dead and then. Somebody else can just you know, chop your body to pieces. Um, okay. Um, but the if, answer if, if somebody murders you, if the Beit pronounces a uh, um, sentence on somebody and, and then somebody else comes along before the executioner and kills them, are they are they uh, pater or? It's not murder. It's not murder. Okay. It's not murder because they're already dead. Right? That's the best proof of it. Okay. Uh, now the question is are you allowed to defend yourself against that person? Right, so we, right, so we have now we get into the complications again. All right, uh, it's a problem because, like, I had so, you know, when I was before I had that meeting, that thing at Harvard, like, it was just so much fun doing this intellectually. So, yeah, it still gets away. You know, it never gets upset if I just have pro, you know, if I just yodse by shouting gewalt, some <laughs> as opposed to saying specifically about everything. Um, some of this is really upsetting. <laughs> uh, okay, 
but the the answer that the the Tudor Ron gives is Ana What's different about that case is Ana Kanaim Pogim Bokadel Hatilo Min Avera Bekvarnid Bakba El Asotbo Nakama. So that's a really wild answer, but it has enormous influence. So there's ambiguity when we kill the Rodek. We say Elushim Asil No Son Binafshan. These are the ones that we kill, that we save them through their nefesh. So one way of reading it is well, the really at least part of the reason that we kill a potential murderer is to save them from sinning. But in the case of Pinchas and of, of Zimri and Kuzbi, they have already engaged in an act. They're still intertwined, but it's too late to stop the sin. And so we think of this, the Ram seems to think, right, not as, oh, we can stop a second sin, and we're trying to do it to have them stop the second sin. He says, no, right, really the whole thing of Kaim Pogimbo is revenge for the already done sin. It's just that you can only take the revenge in the, right, so long as they remain intertwined. Right, so that's a very interesting claim about the case. You have to figure out like, what the parallels are. Um, okay, one nafkamina of this, right, is that the Rush tells us is that third parties could not choose between Pinchas and Zimri. So it's not a real, it's not a full rodeo. Right, there's new halfway kind of rodeo case, which where you can choose your, where, right, where we sort of default to Rabbi Akiva, right? We thought the difference between Rodev and Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi Akiva says you can choose your own life, and Rodev means you can right, that third parties that third parties can choose, and the answer is no. That there's this that Pinchas Pinchas is this intermediate kind of Rodev that reduces us to Rabbi Akiva. Okay, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, this the Riyad Ramah just has moral equivalence, um, and I think that's all we need to do. We all, that's all we need from this from this source sheet. Can I make a suggestion? Yes, yep. Um, there, there was a the concept of um, you know that that the homeowner can uh, uh, can sort of defend his his property right because he's because we know he's going to defend it so zealously that he's gonna um mm-hmm. uh, that um he can kill because he because he's gonna he's gonna zealously defend his own property could, mm-hmm. could we view that sort of zealousness as the same basic idea as the zealousness of uh a pinchas pinchas is so zealous for um for god that we know he's going to uh uh that we know he's going to kill him, so we can't prevent him from, uh, from, uh, from defending God's honor, uh, in a sense. Yeah, and therefore, but we, but we say, right? So that should be just like the thief, and the thief should be allowed to kill the homeowner too. Uh, well, except there, there you have unclean hands, right? But the, the homeowner is going to zealously defend his own, his own property, so you have to assume that the homeowner is going to kill uh, to defend his property. The same way, but that. That the Pinchas is so zealous for God that he, we have to that um, oh um, yeah so I guess that, 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 that anybody who engages us in sin uh, can't uh, yeah has so, to be so aware that, that Pinchas will try to kill them and therefore so we could have said and therefore they right they're going to have to kill Pinchas and therefore they shouldn't be allowed to engage in their sin because they're going to have to kill eventually do it that'd be nice that's not what we say right the argument yeah, well, you make is exactly the argument that Rav, that Rav Shlomo Zalman rejects. Mm-hmm. 
right? This is right. We could follow this logic out and end that result saying, look, you know, you're, any activity that you engage in that will result in somebody trying to kill you, right? Which means that you're going to end up killing them, right? So unless you're willing to give up your life for it, it should be forbidden to engage in it because you're going to end up murdering. Uh -huh. I mean, okay. I, I guess the, the, the whole thing is that, you know, Pinchas is a very extraordinary case. We, we generally don't assume that people are going to be zealots like Pinchas. Uh, this is true. But what I would say is, um, here's, where, like, here's, here's, I guess, the, the two things we're navigating now. One thing is we're navigating on the one hand, we have a svara that says, who says your blood is redder? And the other hand, we have a svara that whoever comes to kill you, you kill them first. And on the other hand, we have a case of Bab Machteret, which, as iffy as it is, we end up saying that we, you know, that you, you may, you either can or even have a mitzvah to kill the, 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 the thief, and other people have a right to kill the thief to save you. And then we have the case of Zimri and Pinchas, where we say no, like you know, you can kill each other, and third parties have no right to intervene. So whenever we have a new case, right? Uh, right. With, for example, right. So that's where the, that's how, that's this is how I was thinking about the Rittenhouse case. Right. What happens when, right, when right? Because the Rittenhouse could be formulated as there is a threat to property, but it's not a threat by any specific person, and it's not a threat that is that is accompanied necessarily by a willingness to commit violence. In order, right, in order to win, and then somebody, a third party, comes in. And initiates a capital confrontation. Do they have a right to do that or not? If they have a right to do that, what is the right? What is the other party? Right? What's right? What what is the other party's right of response? What happens if you know that because you brought the gun in, now the other person will think, well, they brought a gun, therefore they're willing to kill me. Right? So how how right? How do we deal? With, right? That's what was, you know, how do we deal with these cycles in halacha? And we have these two models of how to deal with the cycles. Pinchas and the Bab Machteret, uh, each of which can be narrowed in, in clear ways and don't really apply to, right? Don't, don't really tell us what to do about you know, general lawless situations. And right? part of the challenge, right? Because I don't want to apply halakha reality because halakha doesn't have police. And you have at least two counter svaras. One svara is, right, when they're, right, when, when you have police as your default. So then when, when you when violent when violence breaks out, your whole task socially has to be to restore the the restore the monopoly on violence the police have, um, right, and prevent anarchy, uh, right. That would be right. And so those in that situation, you, you're even less entitled to introduce right to introduce violence into the situation because that's just going to generate the kind of escalation that leads to total to, to total social breakdown. Or we could say, look, when there is police violence, then there are certain certain when the police theoretically have enough violence to control this. So then we're going to say that we should that you should restrain your own use of violence um, and preferably call the police. But when the police broke down, we go back to state of nature and you have a right, you have a right of self-defense. Right? What are what are Shotrim then? Yeah, that's a really good question. Right? If you ask that, like, what are Shotrim? I don't know. Uh, right? People ask that and I read a little or there are treatments. People thought that Cecil Yezer has it has an essay, Rochelle Israeli has an essay on police. Uh, I should have mentioned that uh, that uh, my friend um, Rabbi Michal Barris has a collection put out by a Choshenishba Kol that he ran briefly in Ofra. Uh, that has a nice book which put, which has a treatment about this. 
but all these are 20th century, right? There's no, there's no serious treatment of Shotrim between, you know, before the Gemara to, right, to the 20th century. Right? So, you know, the notion of Shotrim having a monopoly on violence such that you could turn to the Shotrim and say they should deal with this, I, I'm not aware of any, anything in rabbinic literature that addresses that part of the 20th century. <clears throat> I'd be very happy to get sources. Um, okay. So with that, so we're going to have to skip the Rishlam Rozovsky's purely uh, intellectual treatment of the Sugya. And I want to really, I want to look at Rishlam Zalman's treatment of this cycle or paradox and see how that, and see how that plays out, whether I read him correctly and how, whether you react to him the same way I did. And for more, it's just be, you know, advertisements that the end of your, that the end of your 2021 CMTL reader will have all the, all these treatments. Um, maybe even the Tzitzeliezer are translated by then, although I haven't translated Tzitzeliezer yet. Um, but you can read all the all, all these treatments then. Okay, so let's go let's go to the um, to the to the other source sheet, right, the one I just put the 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 thing in in the chat. Um, that is the file. This is the file. Lots of typos. Okay, so um, so let's take a look at at uh, Rishon Mazama. So here's what he says. Nira, it seems to me. So X is preventing Y from eating pig. Presumably, Y is Jewish. And X says to Y, if you eat that pig, I will kill you. So, right, so the, um, right, so the, the um, threatener is a rode because he's threatening to kill somebody and killing pig is not a capital offense. We don't even say can I am Pogimba by eating pig. So X is a rode. He says, but we said that it's a crime to kill a rodef if you could save the nirdaf using lesser means. So here, am I allowed to kill the rodef who's trying to stop me from eating pig when I could just not eat pig? The um, Imkains, he says, is possible because of this. So this is the question that the Mincha Shlomo frames. He says, do we say that when you could give in to intimidation, are you allowed to save yourself? Or under what circumstances are you allowed to save yourself by killing the threat as opposed to simply by giving in? So it is maybe in the case where the threat is to stop you from doing something that is halakhically illegal, maybe in that case, you have to give in. However, he says, if the person says, I am stopping you, right, I'll kill you if you eat that impossible burger. Assuming that it's actually the point. Even though he has the possibility of not eating, refraining from eating this, and thereby to save himself. So we say, look, you have to choose to maim the Rodev instead of killing them. So shouldn't I have to choose not eating the impossible bacon rather than cutting off the Rodev's hand? No. It seems to me that we don't give the Rodev 
the halachic power to compel you to submit to their will. And if he stubbornly insists and says, I will kill you if you eat that impossible bacon, then you're allowed to kill him first. And this is not all considered, right? We don't say that you, you could use lesser force by submitting your will to his. And remember, even up here, he only said Efshar. So Shlomo seems to take the position, which is a very, how we call it, libertarian position, that uh, certainly you have the right to use deadly force to uh, right to allow you to engage in any kind of legal activity and maybe even to allow you to engage in illegal activities so long as they are not capital crimes and for that matter we don't know maybe even he doesn't write capital crimes so long as the person threatening you is not the executioner Right, so that's a very right. This this is framed in in the NCSY's Mikoros of you know as a clear formulation of the stand your ground law of basis, right? And, and it sounds like it really is. Uh, it sounds like it really is, and it's really you know, we have to think about it, like you know, um, what are the parameters of this? So it's I suggested in my original article that Rashlam Azamli can't really mean it. What he means is if you have no means even over time of ridding yourself of the threat. But that if you could, if you if you could call nine one one and they'd arrest the person, and tomorrow you could eat your impossible bacon, the notion that you could kill somebody because you want to eat this burger while it's still hot, seems to me impossible. But I can't say that that is explicit in Rishon Lezalman or even implicit in Rishon Lezalman. Uh, right? He doesn't he doesn't say that explicitly. Okay, but he also says Efsher about the illegal acts. Okay, but but not about the legal acts. Now, where did he get this from? He says, on the basis of this assumption, this explains the Gemara, which says that Zimri can kill Pinchas. Why can Zimri kill Pinchas? Zimri should simply separate from Kazbi. And now Pinchas can't kill him anymore. Even though Pinchas could only kill Zimri at such point as they are still physically, uh, right, so as long as he is still considered penetrating, but not if he's, right, but if once, once if he's separated, he would not be able to. So Zimri, why is Zimri killing Pinchas? Zimri could just stop, right? This is why I don't take the Efshar up here so seriously, because his whole proof is from the case of an illegal act. Right, so Zimri could, right, Zimri could, um, Zimri could uh, right, have, saved, have saved himself without killing Pinchas just by separating. So many people ask, so why do we say that he's not executed? Now he quotes the Ron. Um, right, he says the reason. The reason he says the reason here is that right because he's already committed the sin. You're not causing him. You're not killing him to prevent him from doing the sin. Therefore, he's called a near death, even though he could save himself by separating from sin, because that's not why you're killing. Him. So that's very elaborate. Right, that's not why you're killing. Him. Uh, 
And we're not like, what are the parameters? What if that, right? What are the parameters? Um, right? So since that's not why you're killing him, therefore he's allowed to kill you. So that's an interesting claim. I think he got this claim from Russia Weiss, who tries to distinguish between, uh, right, between things that are organic to the threat and things that are not organic to the threat. Um, I have to figure out exactly what he, exactly what he means, and how would that play? How would that, how would that play out? So if somebody says, "I'll kill you if you, if you loot that uh, that warehouse," so we're trying to stop you. So then it sounds at this point like you would have to stop looting the warehouse, but it's only Impossible Burgers that you're right, that you're that you're allowed to kill to preserve your right to do. Okay, the Elamar he said, but don't say that it's because he has no right. Right, because with the halacha you learned Hilchos Nida that um, withdrawal, anytime there's a there's a a sin of engaging in coitus, so withdrawal is also a violation, and therefore Zimri couldn't physically remove without violating a sin again. So Pinchas could always kill him, or or Zimri could say, "I'm sorry, I have to kill you because otherwise I would be violating the sin that I violated ten seconds ago." But now I no longer wish to. <laughs> right? Don't think. Right? Don't think that. Uh, right? Don't or don't, don't think that he's honest. Uh, because he's not practically, he's not practically honest. He has a way out, and this is what almost everybody else I think said once they raised the question. It's interesting to me. Until the 20th century, nobody seems to have noticed this issue about Pinchas that Pinchas can the Zimri can kill Pinchas even though he could simply withdraw. Um, but basically, basically, once people came up with it, they found some way to say that Pinchas, that Zimri couldn't withdraw. Uh, whereas I think Rishlomo Zalman is radical and he says no, he could withdraw. But that doesn't change anything because the fact that he can, because he's not, Pinchas, since Pinchas is not trying to kill him to stop him from sinning, he's trying to kill him for revenge. So since there's no organic connection between the sin and the threat, so it seems, I think Rashlam Zalman is saying, so therefore he's allowed, he doesn't have to stop the sin. That's a really interesting claim, right? So if somebody says, "I'll," right? Somebody says, "I'll kill you if you don't do this sin." So do that, right? So at this point, maybe you have to stop doing the sin if they say it in those terms, but not if it's just an ancillary thing about the uh, about the sin. Really interesting, delicate, tight, tight distinction. Okay, um, but now let's right, but. Um, uh, other people say, right, right so let's take a look, he quotes the Klichemda, um, where he says, I, I think he's really happy about it, right, why? Really, right, the other people interpret, read the Sugi as saying that the reason Pinchas, Zimri can kill Pinchas has nothing to do with Pinchas's motivation, it simply has to do with that Pinchas has no obligation to kill him, right? and as long as as long as Pinchas has no obligation to kill him, Kanan Pogimbo is only a Rishus, then you're allowed to defend yourself. You're allowed to defend yourself against anybody who doesn't have a mitzvah to kill you, no matter what they're asking you to stop doing. Right? And Mavur, so he says, right? So that reason says, Mavur Shasobar, Shagama Rodev Acha Chaver Largo Kedel Lumono Meachilas Chazir. So Shlomo says in the end, Today, if somebody, right, I think that the simple shot in the sugi is that if somebody says, I'll kill you if you eat, if, right, if you want, if you go on eating pork, you happily go on eating pork and you can kill them. 
came unto the Shalokadinu Balargo because he came to kill you unjustifiably. Now, what about above Machteret? Is he justified in killing you to save right, to save his money? Maybe you have a right to defend your property. Okay, I'll have to figure out exactly what the balance is. Um, okay, right. So you think in the end, right? Sorry, this is quoting Mishnah Melech. Mishnah Melech thinks that, um, right, that it's not that that um, the fact that you can refrain from the fact that you could refrain from doing something that you want to do, uh, even if what you want to do is illegal. That doesn't make you and that doesn't take away your right to, right to kill the person trying to stop you. Right? Because that's what you want. Right? So it sounds like a principle of um, of absolute of absolute uh, autonomy that right that you are that that right that you are allowed to with deadly force um, defend yourself. Again, right? Defend, defend yourself against anyone trying to stop you, um, and if that requires a deadly force, is the only way in which you can stop them, then you have a right to do that. Okay. Now we can decide if we think that should be so or not, right? So I argue that this is one of the places where, where we should go back to the Shvusyaku and um, and say that you really need a live tradition because this should not be true in cases where you have the option of calling the police and eating your, your burger five minutes later. Um, but as you know, there's an illustration of the dangers of applying halacha straight. On the other end, it's a good corrective. Uh, if you think that halacha obviously has a default position that you can never kill for money. So he says, no, Bob Makhteret, really, your money is just an example of your right to preserve your autonomy against threats. Um, so that's a you know that's a it's a good corrective the it's a good corrective the other way, um, and the extension of it to illegal acts is really I think um, that I think is where it, I wonder if I would go as far because I don't think that the proof from Pinchas and Zimri is a very good proof that partially that's because I I'm very happy that there's a book called. Um, um, there's a book put out by which is an attempt to, to, uh, to, reclaim, to reclaim the, um, the you know, pre, pre, reclaim some of the intellectual legacy of uh, pre-war Europe. So this was a, so sort of Kasher collected the issues of a journal called Degolatora that was that was a regulatory journal in Europe before the war. And I happen to have received this as a present from a wonderful, wonderful friend, uh, Leo Green. Uh, it was a very sweet present, and so I, I read through many of it. And that was my that was one of the first books of that sort of books that I read, and so I like it very much. And it raises the question, and it gives, and it gives the practical answer that no, um, the reason was that Zimmer didn't have the option of withdrawing because that would also be a crime. Um, so I've always liked that answer. Okay, but here's. Here's what I wanted to raise as the really big issue in our Shlomo Zalman. Let's suppose that we're okay with our Shlomo Zalman's extension, um, which I should point out, right? By the way, just to be clear, the Shlomo Zalman's extension, the Rittenhouse case, if you take it really, is it allows the rioters to kill the, the people standing guard, not the other way around. <coughs> the people standing guard, what are they doing there? They're not defending their own property. 
but the looters are engaged in an act they want to engage in, which is looting, right? So if you introduce, right, so why shouldn't they be allowed to defend themselves with deadly force, right? So one shouldn't think that Shlomo Zalman is the radical pro-Rittenhouse position, it's the radical looter, pro-looter position, uh, right, which is really, which really quite radical. Um, and now I want to show Rav, what would make Shlomo Zalman really, really dangerous? What would make Shlomo Zalman's position really dangerous is if he decided that not only do we turn the people trying to stop you from engaging in an illegal act, and we'll have to, you know, somehow we'll have to make police different, right? We'll have to make police into shluchei beitin in some way, which requires a whole new conceptual framework. Uh, but what happens if we decide that not only can we apply the category of rodev to people who are not trying to kill you, but just trying to stop you from, engage, from engaging in illegal, let's say, illegal actions? But we're also going to apply the category of Baba Machteret that way. Meaning that if I have a reasonable basis for presuming that you will use deadly force if I right, if I try to engage in my illegal act, I can kill you preemptively. So for example, what happens if Zimri, right? Then the whole scene with Zimri and Kazbi is a very big public scene, right? And right, the, certainly the way right, the way uh, you know the, the drama, the way the Gemara sets it up, but even the Chumash, right? Israel. So, so what happens if Pinchas the day before got up and said, "I am a Kanoi. If anybody attempts to engage right in this kind of action, I will kill you." And now the next the, the next day, Zimri thinks, "You know what? I'm going to engage in this act with Kuzbi, and if I do so." It's unquestionable that Pinchas will try to kill me, but if I wait till Pinchas attacks me, then right, then it, you know it's a fair fight, and I might be somewhat distracted. But so it makes more sense for me to stab Pinchas tonight, and then when anybody asks me why I stab Pinchas, I'll say, well, I stab Pinchas because I intend to engage in this public act, uh, in this public act tomorrow, and Pinchas would try to kill me. So would that really work? So what I wanted to argue is that right, the reason I didn't want to bring Rishlomo Zalman into discussion because it seems to me Rishlomo Zalman really says that. Um, right, so, I, so that's what I really want to play, evaluate is was I fair to claim that Rishlomo Zalman really, um, really said this? So let's take a look at some selections from his place and see if he plays that. I want to be clear that so far as I can tell, everybody reacting to Rishlomo Zalman, nobody suggests this. But it's also the case that nobody seems to have caught that he said this. So I want to figure out if I'm being fair or not. So here's what he says. It's obvious that a third party could not kill the person trying to stop you from eating pork. It's only with regard to money that there's a presumption that somebody will, will stand up using deadly force. But as opposed to if somebody comes to prevent you from, from sinning, we don't know that people will use deadly force to protect the right to eat pork. Right? We don't even know that people will use, will use, right, will use deadly force in order to prevent themselves from, um, in order to protect the right to eat impossible bacon. Um, so watch his logic, right? He says that um, it's, right, that Third parties have no right to kill to kill the Rodef who's trying to stop you from eating pork 
because they have no right to presume that you will stand up to them using deadly force. But what about you? You can know that you'll stand up using deadly force. So if you can know that you'll stand up using deadly force, so then you should be able to kill preemptively. That seems to me the, the simple explanation of, um, right, of Rav Shlomo Zalman's logic, that he takes, he, right, he takes, he takes Bab Machteret out of the realm, right, out of, out of the realm of, um, of you know, it's not, Rav Machteret is not this segregated exception. Right, cool, right? With sometimes called cocifying it, right? That you take this one law and you put it in a box and say you can't generalize it. He says the whole lot, it, the whole thing is just logic. And so anytime you can make this calculation, you're allowed to do it. So, so one other place he says, uh, even somebody who really does have self control, and is not so upset about their money. Nonetheless, they're allowed to stand on their to to use deadly force to to withstand their their force. You don't have to worry that you're turning the thief into a murderer. That's not your responsibility, right? Your responsibility is right is is simply to do what you want, and you have a private responsibility to God, not to right not to um, not to eat meat, not to eat pork. But that private responsibility does not prevent you from um, does not prevent you from um, from defending yourself with right with deadly force. You're right to do this. Okay, so I would really the illustration is I don't I think that in the end you can't possibly like the Shalom The Shalom is just an example of the danger of taking raw halacha and applying it to circumstances because the end of it is that looters can kill people on their way to defend warehouses. Because they can assume if they have guns, they're going to defend it, right? I'm planning to steal from this warehouse. They're planning to shoot me if I, plan to, if I try to steal from this warehouse. I should kill them first. Um, sometimes the usefulness of studying halakhic sources is that you realize, okay, that argument yield, yields impossible conclusions, so we really can't go there. Um, interesting question, but you know, the question is why Rashul Mazaman doesn't um, doesn't realize this, and I, um, and maybe he does, and he just thinks that you know that in practical luck we would have to change it. Um, but the principle has to be established that fundamentally halacha never allows one person to interfere with the autonomy of another. So if we just took the violence out of it, if we just took the violence out of it, and we took it as a look, Rosh Hashanah establishes a principle that. No human being has the right to interfere with somebody else's autonomy unless unless that person's autonomy infringes on their own. We just end up with roles, right? Or some other version, right? Or right, some other extreme, right? That you know, that I that I can do whatever I want and you can't stop me. All right, and we have the Chazanish says this essentially. Um, the Chazanish says that all rights to the only circumstances under which we enforce bin Adam the Makoms. In a society is when we live in a society where God punishes us collectively, and therefore you are bin Adam Makom's sin, right, yields my punishment. But if you live in a society where there is no hashkacha, evident hashkacha, and therefore we don't see any, right, we don't presume that we are collectively punished for someone else's sin. So the Chalnish says, so then there's no enforcement of bin Adam Makom's. And that's his explanation of modernity.
Um, so if we took the violence out of it, I would be fine with it. And I understand the desire to say, look, if you're going to write that ultimately any right that you're not willing to defend with the same force that the other person is willing to use to, to, write, to infringe on it, that right is not going to last. Um, so I don't know that, um, I don't know that I have a moral objection. Um, what I, what it scares me is a, the notion that you can be so sure of what somebody else will do that you can kill them. Now that might be inherent above Makhtaret, but to the extent that it's here, inherent above Makhtaret, I would rather limit it to that. And even above Makhtaret, I much prefer the logic that includes multiple other social rationales as the basis for it so that you can't generalize it at all. And even Bab Akhtarit should be extremely limited. Um, and secondly, I think that you have to account for the reality of, you know, that to apply the halakha without acknowledging that there are police um, and, the, and the, the existence of lesser options, even if we can't, you know, I would like to make a distinction also between the habitual threats and the, um, and the single threat um, and right, you know that there should be some. I would also like to make a distinction, but again, I can't. Right, so I, I, in a lot of areas, there's a principle I got from Lichtenstein. Um, <clears throat> Lichtenstein said that there is a right to live a normal life. I talked about that. Lichtenstein says that's why you can keep cows, even though cows seem to cause all sorts of damage. And we should say something the You shouldn't be able to keep a cow because your cow is likely to injure somebody else's cow or kick, or kick down their fence, right? Or break down the barn, right? So why keep, a, why keep a cow? The answer is you have a right to keep a cow. But you don't have a right to keep a tiger. <coughs> right? Halakha has no interest in preserving people's rights to keep tigers. Why? I, I think keeping a tiger is perfectly ordinary. And I grew up in Byron. Um, but I think Byron kept tigers in his, <coughs> on his front lawn. I just try to keep them fed most of the time. But no, right? We don't. We don't. We don't think there's a right to keep tigers. So the same notion, I could. I would like halacha to have a distinction between saying if somebody says I'll kill you if I ever see you wearing, you know, wearing bell bottoms again. Okay, do we really have to wear bell bottoms? Nobody has to wear bell bottoms. We could all live if we never wore bell bottoms again. It really offends somebody, and I like you know. I understand we get to some degree in Edgar Allan Poe uh, stories where one person's mania imposes massive restrictions on somebody else and then they end up killing you anyway. Um, but I would much rather say that we should <clears throat> bracket this to claim that a person does not have the right to prevent you from living a normal life by means of threats of violence and you are allowed to resort to violence to rid yourself of that threat if you have no options short of violence of doing, right, short of violence of doing so. Right? That would be, a, I think, uh, I would call a mature halakhic formulation. But I have to admit that the Rishlam Azaman doesn't say that uh, at all. But I also want to point out that, you know, that nobody should use Rishlam Azaman as, as, as endorsing the, um, it's not it's not clear that, that even Rishlam Azaman would allow you to take guns to defend the warehouse of somebody who didn't ask you to defend it. And, right, and more dangerously, it seems like he would prevent the prosecution of people who preemptively shoot people who go to, right, who go to defend warehouses that are not theirs. Um, not even clear that because because you're a third party that you have the right to intervene to uh, right to right to protect the warehouse when you don't know that the owner is going to going to re resort with deadly force and the implication is he won't because he's asking you to defend it and likely that he doesn't have his own guns. So I think Rishon Lezal's vision, as radical and dangerous as it is, is not actually what we might call in America uh, a right wing position.
and right, and that and I, it's be easy for it to be misunderstood that way, uh, right? Because the stand your ground that he that that he's talking about in this context is really the stand your ground of the criminals, and not the stand your ground of the uh, not your standing ground of the householders. And if you want to make halachic arguments for a stand your ground law, you have to make find much much narrower grounds than Rosh Hashanah. Um, okay. That was my share for today. Thank you. I'm sorry we didn't get to do all the other things. That was very helpful in my clarity. I think I need to rewrite some of the introductions to my stuff coming up in the reader. Uh, people have questions before we finish? Uh, one tangential thing. You mentioned about the tiger and the... Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, under, uh, under the common law, um, if you have a, a cow or a dog or some sort of normal animal, then if it causes damage to somebody, it's... Um, uh, you're liable based on the uh, theory of negligence, but if you keep a wild animal, you have strict liabilities. So, uh, right, that's exactly Mishnah. Yeah, straight okay. Mishnah. Okay. Yeah, and right, we on that one. We are fully, fully in. Uh, right, except you know that the challenge is that Halakha thinks that dogs are not are are not, and you know it's the whole like one of the interesting history, history of Halakha positions is you know you still trace it right because I I, I thought I read a shiram uh, on. Uh, um, seeing eye dogs and comfort dogs, so you watch the tracing between um, the Chelkas uh, Yaakov, who says uh, like only Nazis have dogs. <laughs> to right, to Ravosha already has a triva, you know, leaving your, you know, just tire seeing eye dog at you know, up up somewhere right somewhere just outside the entrance, so he right, so right, so you can see right, so you can see you and something like that. Right? So there, there is a deep, deep evolution. Uh, but I was going to bring that up because of Zoe's photo. <laughs> but like, right, oh, there we are, right? He's fluffy right dog. here, yeah. He's right here. <laughs> fluffy dogs are, uh, that is a very fluffy dog. Yes. He also has no teeth, so he's like a very harmless dog. <laughs> That's all interesting. Okay. I did not know that. Well, he, know he came up a few weeks ago. Rabbi Samuels was saying, you know, that this is our equivalent of if you have a uh, Tom or a Muad. He's like the dog that you're always like is the sweetest dog in the world, and then it goes and bites someone. And, he, and later in the show, he's like, you know, like Zoe's dog. I'm like, no, he can't. He's, he's <laughs> can't <bite> <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Other questions? All right. Thank you as always for listening. Pleasure living with you. I look forward to doing so again in the uh, the near future. Thank uh, you, Rabbi. Look, look. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Nice to Good to know the dog has no teeth. I'm usually very scared of small dogs, having once been bitten by one. Very harmless <laughs> and very sweet. Okay. Someday. <laughs> After COVID, I guess. <laughs>